0: I'm Jack Zemlicka, and welcome to this episode of our 2017 Strip-Till Farmer Podcast Series. Today's program, Setting Up Your Strip-Till Rig for an Ideal Seedbed, is being brought to you by BlueJet. If this is your first time joining us, I'd encourage you to subscribe to this podcast series, currently available in iTunes, the Google Play Store, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, and TuneIn Radio. Or if there's another app you prefer for listening to podcasts, let us know. We'll make every effort to get it listed here as well. And by subscribing, that will allow you to get an alert when upcoming episodes in this series are released and an opportunity to go back and listen to episodes in our 2016 series. Thanks again to Blue Jet for sponsoring today's episode. For more than four decades, Blue Jet has been an innovator in fertilizer injection and conservation tillage equipment. Over that time, large acre farmers have found Blue Jet to be synonymous with durability, low maintenance, and return on investment. A founding title sponsor of the National Strip Tillage Conference, Blue Jet's Strip Tracker was the first strip till implement to combine onboard fertilizer carrying capacities with a stretched and staggered row unit. Visit www.blu-jet.com or call them today at 800-658-3127. And a reminder to mark your calendar to attend the 4th Annual National Strip Tillage Conference coming up on August 3rd and 4th in Omaha, Nebraska. Look for more information on the event and speaker updates at striptillconference.com. Well one of the main objectives farmers often cite with strip-till is seedbed preparation. Whether building berms in fall or spring, creating an ideal environment for seed placement is critical. But how deep is too deep when creating strips? What row unit attachments are essential and which ones are arbitrary? How far off the strips can farmers plant without sacrificing yield? These are questions Iowa State University Ag Engineer Mark Hanna has considered throughout his career to help advise farmers on best practices for matching the right equipment to create an ideal seedbed. In today's Strip-Till Farmer podcast brought to you by Blue Jet, we welcome Mark in to share his insight on the interaction between strip-till equipment and other machinery to manipulate soils, manage residue, and ban fertilizer.
1: When I think about uh, the strip-till operation itself, uh, I always think in terms of you know what is it we're trying to do? What are the objectives here? And uh, we probably each have our own list of, of objectives, but but this is kind of the. The the three things that I think about maybe the most are what get people in the strip till. That darker surface, uh, adding that fertilizer and not just on top. Often uh, many of you are are getting that uh, injected when you're doing the strip tillage. And then, honestly, tillage, uh, particularly if you're doing fall strip till, is primarily a soil loosening operation. It's not particularly done for weed control. It's done maybe for for fertilizer uh, incorporation or injection, that type of deal. But other than that, it's, it's primarily a, a soil loosening operation that way. And so, how that how that steel interacts with the soil what, uh, can be important here. Uh, I think it's kind of uh, interesting to think about. You know, the way we got to this point. Think a little bit about the history of this type of thing. And again, this is just kind of the Mark Hanna rendition, a little bit of of sort of maybe some some of the precursors here at uh, strip tillage, but uh, you know, to my way of thinking, I, I really first heard the term used uh, uh, quite frequently, probably more with uh, 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 anhydrous ammonia injection, maybe uh, 20 years ago now, and uh, probably with the mole knife. We heard that that come up here in the the mentioning. Uh, at least in this state and uh, neighboring states, uh, there's often questions about how deep do you go. You know, it kind of morphed into. Uh, maybe from a fertilizer injection knife to something that looked more like a subsoiler uh, there, there's certainly shallow disk incorporation is, is one potential uh, way to do this uh, really before strip tillage when you go back into the uh, the 80s or 70s uh, you know what dad did uh, in a lot of cases or that type of deal Uh <clears throat> there were some forerunner things going on with ridge tillage in terms of zone tillage, but uh, uh, building up more of an elevated ridge situation, or rotary tillage, uh, when you think about uh, maybe the old uh, uh, Howard Rotivator or that type of thing, used in strips sometime, And so there were some precursors here uh, to what we're doing uh, really here in this day and age. And so when you think about sort of where we're at, what's working, what's not, well, I think we've got some, some other things to think about. Uh, it's not all just off-the-shelf equipment. I, I had uh, occasion to, to uh, uh, get uh, a little more directly involved here a few years ago with uh, and have been in the past sometimes with folks with homemade units. But again, this is just a, a farm-style unit uh, here where we've got, uh, again, a lead coulter. We've got a, a knife that's, that's hidden behind a, a couple of coulters back here and some covering discs, but uh, you know nothing special. We saw a lot of commonality a lot of times on, on what's hanging on the toolbar here. But uh, the knife itself, uh, again, uh, that's, that's everything from uh, maybe a, a, a relatively shallow knife or even those uh, 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 rolling uh, uh, coulters or discs, that type of thing, to something that would be uh, quite deep that way. Back in the ridge till days, why, why those ridges were built with a, uh, it was back when people were, were, there was a lot more row crop cultivation going on. Those ridges were built that time, and that was kind of the, one of the things why we got away from it, really, uh, that and, and machine wheel spacing that way. But uh, row crop cultivation was kind of a precursor here, a little bit to, to uh, building those zones that way. I want to take a walk, just in the next few slides, I want to walk through, you know, what is this steel actually doing uh, to the soil when it goes through? And we're gonna start right with kind of the meat of the, the, the strip-till operation, and, and for most of you, that's some type of injection knife. Now, I've got it sort of exaggerated here a little bit, but this is a, a Marcana sketch with a soil surface up here. We've got a, 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 an injection knife, maybe a little bit wider than what some of you're using, but regardless of how wide or narrow that is, <coughs> typically typically we get, uh, soil breakout, uh, when the soil is reasonably dry and tillable in this kind of V-shaped formation with with uh, breakout emanating at the bottom of that knife and kind of going up at about a 45-degree angle on either surface. When that soil is dry and tillable, we get a nice shatter zone through there, some soil loosening. It does change the soil environment there in terms of, of uh, more macropores uh, out there for the, the, uh, the, the seed zone, that type of thing. One thing, it, it does depend on, on uh, that soil shattering, does depend on soil moisture. Uh, if, if soil gets wet, uh, uh, when it gets wet in plastic, why the, those fracture planes tend to collapse a lot closer to the knife, and here's what you see. This happens to be on a, a subsoiler implement, but this was uh, uh, some fall subsoiling, some early fall subsoiling, but there'd been some significant rain uh, ahead of this, and you see the, uh, the amount of disturbances is really uh, limited to quite close to that knife area, and that's that's basically what you see. And it, it, it is uh, uh, whatever knife you're using out there, the amount of disturbance you get around it is uh, related uh, fairly strongly to the soil moisture situation that you've got going through there. Want to want you to think a little better. Let, let's. Let's talk a little bit about you know what's the what's the right depth here or not? And I didn't hear any of you mention that when we got into the uh, discussion here. But uh, often when I get out or, or and visit in groups like this or or maybe field some phone calls that type of thing, you know uh, how how deep should I be going with that that strip till injection? But I always think in terms of of uh, uh, you know if you're going deep. What's your what's your reason for doing that? You know, do you really have a, uh, a compaction zone down there that needs loosening or not? And that's probably a key to things uh, here. We we do see some difference in breakup and actually a little more efficient ba- breakup with say a parabolic type shank when we go deeper that way. Uh, but it does uh, it's going to uh, break up a, a, a larger zone of soil. It's going to give you drier soil, more macropores. That may not always be advantageous for you in some situations that way. It's, uh, it's going to change the soil environment, but is that for the better. One thing I, I don't really see on strip-till equipment, at least here in the, in the Midwest, uh, is, is the bent leg type knife. I, I just show that because uh, actually some, some earlier work done by the uh, USDA soil dynamics lab shows that if, you're, if your goal is really to loosen soil at depth, uh, you can get a little more efficient with it. With with more of a bent leg shape, they showed uh, uh, for the same amount of uh, tractor drawbar power or tractor draft, there they would get uh, a wider zone of soil loosening that way. I'm not here to sell that idea necessarily, but if you're you know if you're going deep, why there are some things to kind of keep in mind here in terms of of what's going on that way. <clears throat> okay, I want to we'll shift away from the knife and, and let's talk about the, those uh, uh, covering discs back behind there, and we saw it, just about every unit we looked at, uh, there was a little bit different idea on those covering discs. You know, the, the geometry of them. Uh, virtually every one of them had adjustable angles on them. But in terms of you know what they're doing and how they're doing it, see, there's there's a, a going to be an interesting discussion about berm building here coming up uh, in the next discussion group. That, that you'll probably get into this a lot more. But the, the disc covers basically uh, do are used to. Uh, 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 kind of close that area up a little bit, and they control soil flow quite a bit uh, on that. When you think about uh, uh, a, set of, uh, uh, a set of spherical uh, disks uh, uh, that we saw uh, that way, and those were probably the first ones that, that, that came in on a lot of, uh, of tools that way, if you've got the concave sides facing in, they tend to, to lift and pick up that soil, particularly if that soil gets a little bit more moist or damp or a little higher clay content. They'll pick up that soil uh, inside there and they'll actually lift and move it a little bit, versus, say, a straight colder uh, or even a straight colder with notches where there's probably more pinching action on that. Now, if you get, instead of a straight colder, if you get uh, you know a fluted style uh, set of colders. Those will actually, again, depending on how much clay you've got in the soil and, and uh, uh, soil moisture content, tend to pick up that soil and, and throw that a little bit more. And, and these are just kind of rough ideas sort of the rooster tails. But you'll get a little more soil disturbance between the two with those concave uh, uh, sides uh, sitting in versus on the outside. Now you turn those around uh, like we saw in some of the units and actually have the concave sides facing out, you don't get that lifting action particularly with them. It's really more of a pinching action that you get with the soil or, or berming action, uh, probably that way. So it does depend on, on sort of how those things are, are configured uh, that way. Another variation that we, we saw on, on the equipment, and my guess is true for a number of you guys that are, are uh, been in the strip-tilling business for a while, is uh, they often have a, a coulter and they often have a, a set of row cleaners there. And how, how those are positioned and the geometry of those, again, we saw quite a bit of variation that way. Typically, that coulter is a large-diameter coulter. Uh, that way, uh, and we, we might even use the, uh, we saw use of colders in just kind of a, a shallower mul- or multi-colder injection system uh, that way too. When you're using a coulter, let's just think about a, a straight colder here, here first. Typically with that rolling edge of the colder you get a, a fairly nice, sharp, smooth cut that way, uh, and more particularly if the soil is, is relatively dry, uh, f- uh, fairly tillable that way. To the extent that it gets more wet and plastic, it may stick to the sides there, but you don't get too much soil throwing until you start to get the the flutes or the pockets in there. And again, depending on soil moisture and such, you'll get more soil movement and mixing uh, that way. And again, it's not just the geometry of the coulter, but it's... It's the type of soil that you've got in particular the soil moisture a lot of times that kind of come into play. So the reason I'm mentioning some of these things are a lot of times you know, we see some different geometry out there, uh, some different things on the toolbar. Uh, often it depends a little bit on your soils, your, your geographic location, what, what, the, uh, what the odds are of having those soils maybe be, being a little bit on the wet side when you're trying to strip till, whether you're doing spring versus fall, that type of deal will have some bearing in in terms of, you know, how much soil gets picked up here uh, by the unit, how it gets moved around, uh, that type of thing. One thing on coulters, uh, uh, besides just cutting through soil or fracturing soil, they're also often used to to, uh, kind of clear, not just clear a path, I should say, but to cut a path or pre-fracture the soil. Also cut through residue so that residue doesn't wrap around maybe a trailing knife or that type of thing. A smaller diameter coulter, as it goes through the soil, and this is just kind of, kind of my rough sketch of, say, a cornstalk lying transversely in front of that colter. Sometimes that colter, if it doesn't come down with enough angle on there, it'll tend to push that stock, or you get, you tend to get stalks either pushed or maybe even hair pinned underneath that, that, that uh, Particularly if the stock's damp or tough, why, why certainly we can see that happen. <clears throat> Most folks really uh, uh, went to, uh, have gone to larger diameter coulters uh, for situations like this, and they're not just trying to sell you more steel. But when you think about it, that larger diameter coulter, as it meets that corn up there, uh, that, that edge of that coulter is much more likely to be coming down and on top of that and getting a good, firm cutting action against the soil versus pushing that way. So again, uh, larger coulters typically help you in situations like that. and, and uh, uh, you see some variation in terms of those colder sizes, but in general, the trend for, for a number of years now has been to, to larger coulters, uh that way. <clears throat> if I'm in the business, you know, if, I'm, if I'm putting a product out there, uh, you know, I'm, I'm listening to you guys, I'm trying to find out uh, you know, what your soil and field situations are, uh, what might work for you, and so I'm trying to tailor that product For what you've got but again i'm not going to walk through all these these uh marketing features here and some of them we haven't talked about but but they can be more or less important to you uh, that way but again there there are things these are things to consider uh on your equipment and as you go through here that one we talked a little bit about uh, uh some of the things on uh uh, colder style, uh, certainly the the uh, angled adjustment, the depth adjustment, uh, down pressure, rock protection uh, as we get into some of the glacial till soil areas, that type of deal. Uh, things to think about, and uh, my guess is if you didn't get into that in the discussion earlier, why, why again, if you're comparing notes with somebody else, why? Uh, they either put, are putting more or less uh, emphasis on some. Uh, let's talk a little bit. Let's go back to that depth issue a little bit. I want to explore that a little bit further. Now you guys have probably read through the bullets here a little bit, but there are, you know, there's. If you need to go deeper, uh, there are some options here and some options with strip till. But I always caution people. Uh, sometimes I, I get uh, not so often farmers, but I'll get. Uh, uh, ag economists or somebody from the press, they'll want to know, well, just, you know, how much power does it take to run that strip-tail implement? My my first question is, well, how deep are you going with that? Uh, honestly, the, you know, when you look at draft requirements, why why depth can be a, a pretty strong rider here and uh, 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 be a, a large determiner of what that tractor horsepower is. Speed to some extent, too, but even more so depth that way. So there's another reason to kind of think through you know, how deep do I need to go? And, and uh, we talked about soil loosening, but but we also talked. Uh, uh, we also need to think about where are we placing those nutrients? Uh, where do we want to place them? How deep do they need to be placed? That type of thing. I'm not here to answer that question necessarily, but you need to think about uh, where that's going. Typically, you know, when we are placing them, you know, and incorporating or ejecting, we're thinking about. Uh, 4 to 6 inches rather than 10 to 12 inches, but uh, again, beauty is in the eye of the beholder, and, and people can kind of make their own uh, uh, decision here. Now, the slide uh, here doesn't show it maybe as well as it should, but uh, I'm, I'm showing, uh, again, a sole surface here, and this would be what I would consider to be maybe uh, like a 5 or 6 inch uh, deep knife, and uh, you don't see it probably as well, at least from where I'm standing, but I've got a seed here. Uh, maybe a corn seed placed about two inches deep there. And, and you see you've got a, a loosened pattern through there. You've got certainly a different rooting zone than, than you do outside this area here. But you've got a, a reasonably substantial uh, loosened area there. Now, if we go deeper and go something that's more like a, a you know, 12 inches or 14 inches or, you know, my tractor will pull it. Uh, I can get it that deep why uh, uh, you can end up with a situation like this. You've got a, a lot larger area that's loosened there. Uh, you know if the the soils are tight and wet that that may give you some. Uh, uh, advantage uh, that next spring, although you're probably not going to be able to till it and loosen it like that if it was wet when you went through there the previous fall. Uh, but uh, uh, it also tends to, to loosen that up and, and it, you know, if you end up with some drier conditions in the spring when you're trying to plant, that may be the last thing that you want there in terms of a lot of macropores or area that way. Or maybe you don't want that much soil disturbance anyway in, in terms of uh, uh, what we were thinking about or talking about with some of that soil biota. Uh, information we had there, but but those are the differences, uh, uh, basically, that you see there. Uh, one thing I, I can just about guarantee you, this is this was some earlier work done by Kevin Shinners at the University of Wisconsin, but this has been repeated. Uh, we're doing some of that uh, uh, here in Iowa, too, but uh, if you're going to go deeper, it's going to take more tractor horsepower and it's gonna, you're going to get more friendly with your fuel supplier uh, that way. Now, again, I'm not saying don't do it, but uh, uh, there's, there's one of the issues uh, that way when you do it.
0: We'll get back to Mark's discussion shortly, but I want to once again thank our sponsor, BlueJet, for making this program possible. For more than four decades, BlueJet has been an innovator in fertilizer injection and conservation tillage equipment, over that time, large acre farmers have found BlueJet to be synonymous with durability, low maintenance, and return on investment. A founding title sponsor of the National Strip Tillage Conference, BlueJet's Strip Tracker was the first strip-till implement to combine onboard fertilizer-carrying capacities with a stretched and staggered row unit. Visit wwwblu jetcom or call them today at 800-658-3127. Reflecting on Mark's comments so far, he discussed three objectives of a strip-till system. One of those being viewing shanks, knives, or coulters not primarily as tillage utensils, but rather as soil loosening tools. This approach increases focus on strip-till as a soil-boosting operation, rather than purely a tillage practice, he says. Understanding how the steel interacts with the soil is important for properly setting up row units. And a big part of this decision is knowing the appropriate depth to build strips, especially if fertilizer placement is part of the process. Mark advises farmers to consider soil conditions, compaction layers, horsepower requirements, and fuel costs when determining how deep to cut into the soil. Let's get back into the program now and hear more from Mark Hanna on the proximity of seed placement to the strip and its effects on corn yield.
1: You know, to get that equipment to operate correctly, you know, we, we, we talked about that, that set of row cleaners, that colder in front of the strip till unit out there. A lot depends really on, on how that residue is already laying out in the field. And it really starts at the rear end of that combine. When you guys here in, here in about, uh, at least in this part of the, the, the neighborhood, when you get that combine out here in about another month and you start you know, inspecting the, the rotor and the, the sieves and making sure the threshing and separating, Areas are, are the way you want them. Don't forget the rear of the machine. There, you want to make sure that that uh, uh, the straw spreader, the the, the uh, uh, stock chopper, uh, uh, they are you know knives are, are reasonably well maintained and sharp. Uh, you've got uh, the RPM on that that drive shaft speed that you want. A lot of times those are belt driven, and so you want to double check that. Give yourself a chance by giving yourself a good spread on the equipment. Uh, a lot of you are gonna be interested in doing some fall strip tillage, and so what's it look like at the, the back of the machine? So that that's an important component to stuff. Okay, I wanna, I wanna wind up here a little bit uh, uh, with, uh, uh, you guys were talking about uh, uh, planter. Uh, you know, where that seed opener on the planter goes, and, and in particular, the question came up more in terms of, uh, I think, uh, soil erosion-type issues, and I'm not going to directly <laughs> hit that with the next couple of slides, but what I want you to think a little bit about is uh, where do you want that planter seed opener to go in, uh, in relation to that, that knife or that injection point or that type of deal? Okay, Now I, I'm going to guess that most of you are going, well... I want to be right there, or I want to i want to be in a certain position uh, close to it. I mean, that's thats what I'd be thinking. Uh, this was some interesting work that uh, was done by a colleague of mine, uh, uh, Dr. Randy Taylor down at Oklahoma State uh, University, where he basically set up a system where he, he strip-tilled, he, he actually did spring strip tillage on this, and then he planted about, uh, as I recall, about four weeks later or so, Uh, He did this uh, uh, over around Stillwater, kind of in the the north-central part of the state, but also out in the Panhandle area, a couple of different locations, and uh, wanted to take a look at the effect of, of, you know, what would it be if I get off that strip? And so he was using an RTK system, and uh, he did an offset, basically, on his RTK unit on the planter. So he tried to plant right over the strip. Then he he did a two-inch offset and and planted some plots two inches off where that knife went. Then he went four inches over, six inches over, and eight inches over. Uh, So he wanted to see, you know, is that going to have some effect on yield that way? And uh, he didn't just take the RTK word for it. He actually got uh, some surveyor equipment out there, and he knew where that that strip was, and he, he located where those rows were. So... I don't have any data points on here yet for you, but I'm going to show you some. Uh, this would be uh, uh, where the planer goes basically right over the top of that, that uh, uh, knife injection point. Uh, this would be 2 inches off, 4 inches off, 6 inches off, 8 inches off. And here's the corn yield. And so there's my next question for you guys. What does that data look like? What do you think? You know, uh, I don't have anything higher than 200 bushels here, so we'll start there, but uh, but let's say that let's say we've got maybe 160 bushels here, you know, right over the marker. Uh, you know, is it, does it go like this, or does it go down like this, or does it go just straight out, or you know, how much how much does it affect yield if we get off that off that strip you know, here? Got yeah, go on ahead. Is it in a long-term hotel? This was a one-year deal, yeah, good question. One-year deal. Yep. I'm sorry I don't remember the answer to that. That's a great question. I don't remember what he put on with the, I don't think he put on, Excuse me. I don't think he put on any with the planter. I'm pretty sure of that. I was thinking about what did he put on with the strip till unit, and I don't remember that off the top of my head. There was none with the planter. I do remember that. But I want you thinking about, you know, what's that do? You know, what's the data look like? What do you think? He did this. He did this three different, three different places. He did it for a couple of years. I'm just going to show you. He had three locations in two years. I'm just going to show you a couple of them to give you kind of a flavor of that. So let's take a look. This set of data, actually, uh, uh, this is, again, individual plot yields out here, you know, versus uh, uh, line off that uh, uh, strip till driving, or uh, strip tillage. This was out at Goodwell, which, uh, if I remember my geography correctly, this was the panhandle one. This was irrigated corn out there, and this was, uh, these were the corn yields here. And uh, long story short here, he did see some difference in terms of the, the corn yield did decrease a little bit as he got off the row here, or excuse me, off, off that strip. But it was basically these two points out here, if he left those out of the statistical analysis, he didn't get a difference. But he did, once he got out here, he did. Okay, out of the out of the three locations in two years that he did, this was the one set of data that showed statistically significant drop-off as he moved off that row. Uh, I'll just show you one of the others. This was, uh, again, uh, uh, this was closer to Stillwater water here. Uh, this was corn yields, and this was more typical of the other five that he had. And, uh, you know, you look down here and go, wow, you know, it dropped off quite a bit with four inches there, but look what happened up here. Also, look what happened here. There were some other things probably going on there. Now, I'm not here to—I'm not here to say, gee, you don't need to be real careful about uh, how you drive on it. But, but I did after I saw some of this data. I, I kind of backed off a little bit on exactly how close you need to be to that strip. And I'll let you guys kind of corner me and debate me in the in the hallways here later on this evening or that type of deal. I'm not saying don't do it, but. When you think about what's going on here, basically, you know, we're planning, again, in that that, uh, zone-tilled or loosened area here. In summary, (laughs) I'll I'll let you guys read down through here. But one reason, one of my points here is I want you to think a little bit about your equipment, how you're operating it, uh, what you're trying to accomplish with it. most of you have, you know, a situation a little bit different than, like you were mentioning, it, it works over at the neighbors, but it doesn't work for you. You know, what what's the what's the soil situation? What's the soil moisture situation? That type of thing. And there's a reason why there's adjustments on on the strip till toolbars and also on the planter too. You know, think about the situation. Uh, I find I find you guys in strip tillage are are. A cut above much better than just you know the rest of the crowd. You're already kind of thinking about the variation. You've got two zones to manage. You've got the tilled zone and you've got the untilled zone there too. So I'm I'm complimenting you guys at that. But but be thinking about the situation that you run into and uh, you know how you're going to how you're gonna set up and use that equipment that way. And that's that's one reason why we have a, a range of equipment and a range of settings here that one. Uh, got a comment or question back here in the back. be aware of what fertilizer knife you're using especially on your rolling hills Uh, if you use a mole type knife or anything that's a high lift knife with a wide wing it will leave a hole in the ground and as it starts raining it will migrate to that hole and run downhill and it'll actually cut it from underneath that could be why you're getting some of your um, erosion on the side hills. Knives make a tremendous amount of difference. You need to dig and see what's happening behind that unit. It's a, it's a great point. You can be a little too aggressive and, and those end rows or rolling situations. are not even in the end rows. If you've got enough slope there, well, it'll, it'll move on you. That's great. Yeah. Anything else? Enjoyed your talk. Um, the one slide you had on horsepower, it seemed to be one speed was linear, and then you said speed was quadratic, and I didn't quite understand the difference. In your, both cases,
0: I think talking about the knife.
1: Yeah, In general, the knife, had, <clears throat> I'm an engineer, I'm going to say yes to both those questions, but it's primarily linear uh, for most of those knife shapes uh, out there. Uh, by far, the biggest difference is, is how deep are you going with that knife. There is a, a part of that that pull that, that does have something to do with speed, and that is that is a quadratic relationship. In other words, if, if you go from uh, three miles an hour to six miles an hour, uh, that will that pull will go up not not one part, but, but four parts, but the speed part is still quite a bit less than what the depth part is. Uh, I'm wanting to separate those out. Most of the, most of the drawbar pull or the draft is going to happen from the depth. The, uh, the American Society of Agricultural Engineers has got uh, uh, some standards that uh, uh, are based on some stuff both in the lab and the field from many years. And uh, there's a lot of variability to it, but uh, 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 that's that's why I'm making the comments that I am. It's primarily depth. There's a there is a quadratic relation with speed, but it's uh, it's maybe 10 percent or less of the total draft that's there. Is what I'm trying to say. I just my point is I want you to think about uh, how deep deep do I need to go? And for a lot of you, it probably Depends more on fertilizer placement perhaps than anything that way uh, the thing that I think about in terms of those those rolling basket harrows is more uh I use it in the spring maybe when i 'm going to come through with that planter a, uh, a little bit faster that way i'm not against using it in the fall, but a lot of times in the fall i'm looking for maybe a little rougher surface maybe again i'm I'm speaking from an Iowa perspective here, so put this. You know, in your data bank, you may be coming from a different place, but maybe catching a little bit more moisture, uh, 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 using a little roughness for wind erosion, uh, trying to avoid that, that type of thing. So, that would probably be the biggest change I would think of in terms of the area.
0: Thank you, Mark, for sharing your research and advice on matching equipment to create an ideal street seat bed and strip till. And again, we'd like to recognize and thank our sponsor, Blue Jet, for helping make this Drip-Till Farmer podcast series possible. I certainly look forward to your feedback on today's program, so feel free to drop me an email at jzemlicka at or give me a call at 262-777-2441. And if you haven't done so already, you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or the Google Play Store to get an alert when upcoming episodes are released. And you can also keep up on the latest strip-till practices impacting your farm by registering online at striptillfarmer.com for our free Strip-Till Strategies e-newsletter. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at f a r m r, and on our Strip-Till Farmer Facebook page. Finally, another invitation to come out and attend the 4th Annual National Strip-Tillage Conference coming up on August 3rd and 4th in Omaha. Look for more information and conference updates at striptillconference.com. Well, I hope that you'll join us again on March 16th for the next episode in our 2017 podcast series, Creating a Cost-Effective Game Plan for Cover Crops in Till," where Illinois farmer Trent Sanderson will discuss seeding practices, variety selection, and termination considerations for cover crops. For Mark Hanna, Blue Jet, and our entire staff here at Stripped Hill Farmer, I'm Jack Semlicka. Thanks for listening.